Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Witch and Goddess. Today's episode has been on my mind for a while. It's been requested many times, hey, Black Queer Witch, but I haven't been sure that I could really do it justice, because if I'm really honest with myself, I'm intimidated by the goddess of 10,000 names. But it's time, and to cover Isis' many facets adequately, I'm going to call this episode part one of how many to be determined. Isis is renowned. And when I say renowned, I mean one of the best known and most universally revered goddesses. But she was initially a little-known goddess. She didn't even have her own temples. However, her fame expanded throughout Egypt's dynastic age. She absorbed other goddesses' attributes, and her influence swelled further. She became known as one of the most prominent of ancient Egypt's deities, and her cult spread to include the Roman Empire. She was revered from England to Afghanistan, Even today, she's beloved and worshipped by many pagans and goddess devotees. You're probably familiar with her images, crowned with various items, or golden wings spread. Perhaps you've even heard the story of the great length she traveled to to find and restore her husband and brother, the King Osiris. After her other brother, Seth, cut him to pieces and spread them far and wide in order to take his throne. That myth alone demonstrates her great devotion as a wife, her proximity and influence over the kingship of Egypt, and her mastery of magic. It goes on to describe the subsequent birth of her son Horus, magically fathered by the previously dismembered Osiris, bringing in yet another of her main functions and attributes, the Great Mother. The Egyptian goddess's exact origins are disputed, but one idea is that she may have originally been a local deity from the Delta region, due to her relationship with Osiris, whose largest cult was in the Delta. In the search for her ancient origins, her name may hold clues. Egyptians would have called her Aset. Interestingly, Set means seat or throne, and the hieroglyph representing this name is actually a stylized throne once again connecting her very identity with royalty and sovereignty. Author Leslie Jackson wonders in Isis, the eternal goddess of Egypt and Rome, is it possible that she was the personification of the throne coming into being? And was Isis created to support the institution of monarchy? Jackson goes on to dismiss this theory because it wouldn't explain the goddess's deeply beloved status among commoners who were not required to worship the same deities as their rulers. Isis, or Aset, is called She of 10,000 Names and Many Named Goddess. Ancient belief held that the power of names was great and that one's ability to claim a specific name gave them the powers of that name. Therefore, calling Isis She of 10,000 Names is a testament to her vast influence, even among other gods. She's a far-reaching goddess. It is possible that some of Aset's many names and identities come from the goddesses she absorbed and became linked with. 
their individual traits and aspects would have been associated with Isis going forward. As we know, it's more common for deities to become conflated with others than not. And many of the goddesses we've talked about here are often equated and confused with others. But in the case of Isis, this occurrence is extreme. I wonder if it's a testament to her supreme popularity and influence, or in fact, another of her specific facets, mother of all who contains all, she who reaches and is connected to all, all deities, all powers, all things. Isis is believed to have absorbed a number of nameless local Egyptian deities from the pre-dynastic period. So in a way, even 5,000 years ago, she could have, quote, contained or let's say carried the spirit or essence of multiple ancient deities. And there are many well-recognized goddesses that she became paired with. Hathor, the ancient Egyptian goddess who was a cow goddess, was well-known and loved among Egyptians. She was the protector of the sun god Ra, divine mother, and played an important role in funeral rites, similar to Isis. In addition, she was connected to sensual areas that Isis wasn't originally connected to. Things like love, music, and dance. Now, when Isis assimilated Hathor, she became connected with the powerful solar aspects and gained the strengths of another of the most powerful goddesses of the country. It is because of her syncretization with Hathor that you'll often see Isis wearing Hathor's cow horn sun crown. Now, Greek writers seem to have seen their deities as universal, recognizing them in deities they encountered from other lands. They seem to have looked for similarities and opportunities for inclusion. They might take a trait of a set and seek a Greek goddess with similar characteristics, then equate the pair. For example, connecting Isis to Artemis would have highlighted purity for Isis. Now, as a strong wife and mother figure, purity is not something that's naturally associated with a set. Based on their individual characteristics, Isis and Aphrodite aren't a natural match either right? But the Greek goddess of love and beauty had close ties to Inanna and Astarte and had also been linked with Hathor through her sensual traits. So why not, I guess? One theory is that because Aphrodite, having come from the sea, was a protector of sailors, an aspect that was important to the Mediterranean people, who were increasingly claiming Isis, by linking the, the two, those attributes became connected to Isis. Her connection to Astarte may feel less forced. Both had partners who died and were resurrected. Both were associated with fertility. Um, and the earth goddess Demeter is another more natural connection. Demeter is also connected to fertility, but her most famous myth features her grieving and searching for her abducted daughter, Persephone, parallel to Isis' search for Osiris and the connection to mourning. Now there are far more of these goddesses and their connections than I could ever cover, which just emphasizes the far-reaching nature of the Queen of Heaven. Let's talk about Isis as protector. Sometimes it seems to me that deities with protective powers hold them in a generic way, as though protection is an afterthought added to the end of a long list of traits possessed by most powerful goddesses and gods. But Aset's protective abilities are linked in texts and her iconography in very particular and interesting ways. For example, she's frequently depicted with her arms or wings outstretched in a wide embrace. 
sometimes with one arm up and the other lower. This is an accepted posture that represents protection amongst Egyptian statues and imagery. She's shown this way with Osiris, with the child Horus, and even protecting an image of herself. These seem to be very deliberately emphasizing her protective aspects. In text, she's referred to as the shield and defender of Osiris's body. Now here's a striking passage from the Amunmos version of Osiris's myth. His sister has provided his defense through the magic power of her mouth, the power of the tongue, whose words do not go astray, effective in commanding. There are also numerous writings referring to her protection of Horus, specifically by lending him some of her endless magical force. The people of ancient Egypt valued her as a protector, and her name is invoked in many spells and amulets for both personal protection and the protection of Egypt itself. She was known to be all-powerful over evil, a Roman epithet, Isis Victrix, or Isis the Victorious, was inscribed on protective charms and amulets. Of course, my favorite of her faces is Isis as Great Magician. A great mastery over magic is one of Aset's original attributes, seemingly not absorbed by other goddesses. Isis was believed to possess more Heka, a powerful divine force and essential energy, than any deity other than Thoth. Her magical power is inherent and pivotal to her identity. Note that Egyptian people called Isis Mistress of Magic, Great Magician, and generally much more elevated titles than Witch. Whatever we believe today, witch has always been tied to sinister or malevolent magic, and is traditionally gendered towards the feminine. But Egyptian perception of magic seems to have lacked general negative connotations, and specifically the fear of female power that were so common in other cultures of the time. Religion and magic were intertwined, and magic may also have been understood as a tool, or even a science, to benefit communities. In the Greco-Roman period, Aset became associated with the moon, perhaps due to her connection with Artemis, and this may have impacted her growth and popularity as the great sorceress, because the moon is a classic symbol of occult and magic. An interesting Egyptian belief about the divine force Heka, which Isis has in abundance, was that it could be focused and projected through spoken language. It's said that when a name is pronounced correctly, the true essence of the subject is revealed. The sound of the correct intonation activates the sacred energy. Therefore, incorrect pronunciation could wreck a spell. This may be one of the reasons that modern comedics are particular about the pronunciation of a set, although the most practical reason is to distinguish the goddess from the terrorist organization. There are many ancient writings and quotes referring to Aset's power and skill with words. In fact, according to Martin Bamas, Isis speaks more than any other deity in the ancient texts. He goes on to say that Aset's extensive written dialogue and this ability to communicate to followers may have been crucial to her cult becoming a universal religion and her widespread appeal. A beautiful example from the Laden Papyrus says, I am Isis, the wise, the words of whose mouth of mine come to pass. She's basically saying, As I speak, so I create. I find this quote really emphasizes a foundational belief of many modern magical practitioners, 
that speaking our magical intentions aloud increases the potency of a spell. Indeed, some traditions require spells to be spoken aloud. And on a more personal level, it's so important to remember that, especially as magical people, the things we say in our everyday life, the seemingly benign FML statements, and more, are laced with our manifesting energy. We send manifesting ripples into the world with our actions and our speech, even when we're not at our altars. So, Isis is the ideal wife and mother, a healer and a master of magic. She's besties with lots of other goddesses. I have to admit, I get real head cheerleader and class president vibes from most of the surface level descriptions, which is not really my thing. That's the kind of energy that usually sends me in the opposite direction, if I'm really honest. I would be intimidated if she showed up in my social media feeds, let alone as this supreme deity. But as I've been putting this episode together, I've been looking at it as light shadow work, right? Confronting my pattern of feeling resentful towards women who are doing too well. And what exactly is too well? I don't know, probably anything beyond what I currently believe myself capable of, right? You see, when I look really closely at the people who make me irrationally annoyed or petty, I find myself looking at things that I desire for myself, but for some reason I don't fully believe it's available for me. And that breeds my pettiness. Maybe you can relate? And I don't enjoy having those feelings, but it becomes so much easier to neutralize them when I admit Oh, maybe I want something that I see her enjoying. And instead of resenting her for that, maybe my energy would be better spent pursuing my own version of that thing, that desire or experience. All right, so consider us one step closer to healing the collective sister wound. As I've spent this time immersed in Aset's lore, with all of her acclaim and powers, one thing has quietly stood out for its absence. As far as I can tell, unlike so many amazing goddesses and female figures, Isis is not sexualized. Now, I'm definitely sex positive, but we know that usually when a strong woman appears on the scene in many ancient myths and especially in modern media, she's immediately presented as a sexual being. And in a lot of cases, her value is reduced to no more than her sexuality. Whether we want to admit it or not, women are too often measured by how fuckable we are or how fuckable we may appear to other people. Aside from her association with Aphrodite, which to my knowledge is always respectful, Isis is revered and respected and her sexuality is just not relevant. How refreshing. That's the dream, right? Now, Isis holds many more fascinating myths and facets for us to explore in a future episode. You can join me in monthly rituals by subscribing to Support Witch and Goddess for just $4.99. It's a great way to support this podcast and join me for new video rituals every month. Every month, you'll have access to another subscriber-only episode featuring me leading you through the steps of a special ritual designed to transform your life and magical practice. Through these rituals, we connect with different goddesses, honor the transitions of life, and experience the sacred side of living as a witch. Once again, thanks for listening. Connect with me on Instagram at witchandgoddesspod, or visit my website at blackbirdmagic.com 
to learn about my courses, mentorship, and join my free witchcraft group. Sources for this episode include Isis, the Eternal Goddess of Egypt and Rome by Leslie Jackson. I am Isis, the role of speech in the cult of Isis by Martin Bomas. <laughs>